church, uh, Crosspoint, has been a, a huge blessing to our family. Um, and we've enjoyed every moment of getting to know many of you, and we look forward to continuing to get to know everyone here. And it's, it really has been a blessing uh, to just to be able to, to worship together with you and to come together every Sunday and just to learn something from the Word of God and have a group of people that love it and smiles on their faces and just desire to see uh, the gospel spread to this community of Davenport and the Quad Cities area. And we love being a part of this. Um, and, and so we're just thankful that we could, we were allowed to be a part of it, right? Um, so Numbers chapter 16, as Pastor Joel said, is where we're going to be this morning. And this is something that God has been working on my heart uh, about for probably the past um, year, um, year and a half. And, um, and this passage came across my, uh, came across my mind um, as I was at a conference earlier in February with uh, Pastor Jake and Brother Brandon. And we were able to go to see what uh, other, other churches and other people um, in, in churches, other, other, other church leaders were doing in their churches that, were, um, that they were spreading the gospel in different areas of the country. And it was really cool to see the different things and the different ways that God was using people. And then we were, able to take, uh, we were able to take some of those things and bring them back here. And hopefully we'll continue to be able to spread the gospel even more to, to this Quad Cities area. Uh, but Numbers chapter 16, I'll just go ahead and start reading and we'll get right into this. It's a, it's a long chapter. And, and so uh, the Bible says in Numbers 16, verse number 1, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, uh, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and An, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among, uh, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore, lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. And so what we see here is that Korah and the 250 uh, men here, leaders, men of renown, um, and also Dathan and Abiram and An, they begin to start this rebellion against Moses. They rise up against Moses. And, and what we're going to see is that they're going to murmur and they're going to complain against the leadership that God has put into place here. And I just remember being young and thinking that, man, the children of Israel sure do complain a lot. It seemed like, uh, I'm a pastor's kid, and it seemed like that every, every, every message was something new about the children of Israel complaining. Uh, every message, Sunday morning, Sunday night, it seemed like somehow the children of Israel complaining would make its way into the service. And I don't know if that was my dad trying to get a, get a hold of us and the, and the kids telling us that we complain too much, or it was just that's how it was. But the children of Israel, it seems like they complain and they murmur over and over again. It seems like they never learn and they never understand. Uh, and now that I'm older, I, I, as I think about it, there's just so many things that I could complain about, right? Like, the gas prices are so expensive, or grocery prices are getting up there, and there's so many things that we can complain about. My house isn't like the way that I want it to be, or whatever. And we complain about all these things. My boss is mean at work. Whatever it is, there's just a million different things that we can complain about. And so I kind of see how there would be uh, uh, the children of Israel complaining here a lot. Mark Twain said this, don't complain to people. When you complain to people, 80% of the people you tell don't care anyway. And 20% of the people you tell are glad you finally got what you deserved. It's not, worth, it's not worth complaining to people. Don't complain. 
But we see uh, in Jude chapter 11 and in the New Testament, we see a reference to Korah and the rebellion that he's about to, to incite here. The Bible says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor, uh, Korah. And so what it's saying is here is these, these people perished in the gainsaying, and that's just contradic contradiction of Korah. So these people, Korah, what he does is he's contradicting the leadership of Moses. And ultimately, what we're going to see is he's contradicting God. And so we see that Korah, he's this prominent Levite, a leader in the tribe of Levi. And he's a Kohathite. And we'll learn more about that here in just a minute. But we also find that if you look into and study just a little bit about uh, Korah and Moses and, and Aaron, they're actually related and so it's interesting to see that, that Korah here is going to incite this rebellion with 250 leaders against Moses. And we see here that they criticize Moses. They tell him that he's taking too much upon himself. And, and so we see that Moses, he, he begins to get criticized. And, and, and Moses is no stranger to criticism, right? Uh, here in Numbers, this is going to be the fifth and sixth times that the children of Israel begin to complain and murmur against Moses. Earlier in the book of Numbers, we find that Miriam and Aaron, his brother and sister, begin to complain and criticize Moses and his leadership. And so he's no stranger to this. And by now, here in Numbers chapter 16, we find that the leaders, these men that he, he chose to lead the children of Israel, we see that these leaders are criticizing him. And then we see, in a little bit, we'll see that Korah gathers the entire congregation to go against Moses. And so Moses, he's, he's no stranger to the criticism. I'm just, I just was thinking of this as I was seeing how Moses was a leader and he was being criticized. I was thinking about a, a, when I was younger, uh, my parents wanted to get away for a date. And so they trusted me to be able to watch my brother, younger brothers and sisters. I'm the oldest of five. And so they decided that they would trust me to be able to watch them so that they could go out and spend time on this date, spend time away from us rambunctious kids, okay? And so they, gave, they left us this cell phone so that in the case of emergency, we would be able to call them. And literally not 10 minutes after they left, we were roughhousing, we were playing around, we were playing a game of tag, and my brother Tanner was standing up on the couch, and he fell off, and he hit his head on the concrete wall. And this wasn't just like a smooth concrete wall. It had the like the, the it was like rigid. And he hit his head and all of a sudden he started bleeding. And you know how uh, head wounds bleed, right? They bleed profusely. And so he's bleeding. And now I have a decision to make. Ten minutes ago, my parents just left, right? Am I going to call them and say, hey, come back. Tanner's bleeding profusely. I have my sister who's the, the tattletale out of us saying, you need to call them or I'm going to. And one of my younger brothers is saying, don't call. He was probably the one who pushed Tanner. He's saying, don't call. We're going to get in trouble. And so I am, I'm left to make a decision. Obviously, I made the call. My parents came back. Tanner ended up getting staples in his head. But, but it seemed like no matter what decision that I was going to make, that someone was going to be unhappy. One of them was going to be unhappy because he was going to get in trouble for pushing Tanner. My sister would have been unhappy if I didn't call. And so someone's always going to criticize you when you're in a position of leadership. It seems that no matter what you do, whether it's in the home or wherever you're at, at work, when you're in a position of leadership, there's always going to be somebody who doesn't like the decision that you make, right? And so Moses here, he, he's seeing that, he's feeling that, 
And uh, he is being criticized by, by Korah and this group of men. And so he, he, uh, he's being criticized by them. And Korah, what Korah does is he gathers this congregation. Now, here in verse number 3, we see the word congregation twice. And it's originally translated as two different words. We see it as one word here in, in the King James Version here. And, and it's interesting to me that the, the, it was translated two different congregations in the original text. Okay, So what it was is uh, the first one was a translation and it meant just a group, a gathering of people were congregated here together today. The, the next one was it was a congregation, it was a group, a gathering for a holy and higher purpose. Okay? So what we're going to see here is that Korah, he appeals to something that was said in Exodus chapter 19. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 19 that God is talking to the nation of Israel and he's saying, if you obey my voice, if you keep my covenant, then will you be a nation full of priests and a holy nation. And so Korah here is he, he's using that. He's saying that, look, we are all a holy nation. Look at verse number three. And he says, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and Aaron said, you take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them. Now, in Exodus chapter 19, it says, if you obey my voice and if you keep my covenant. It doesn't just say you're a holy nation. And so we see Korah here twisting the words of God. And obviously, we know that when you twist the words of God, nothing good can come of it. But Korah here, he decides to incite this rebellion. And he's rebelling against Moses because he thinks he can do a better job than Moses can, but ultimately he's rebelling against God. Maybe you felt that way sometimes too in your life where you think, uh, whether it's a, a boss at work or something, it, it, they're in a position of leadership and you're like, man, I could do a better job than that. I do that often uh, during uh, N the NFL season. I'll sit down and watch the Chicago Bears play. And I'll be like, man, that coach, he shouldn't have made that call. I would have made a better play call. Or that quarterback, he shouldn't have thrown that pass. I could have made a better pass. Than that. And that's obviously not true because I'm sitting in a lazy boy on Sunday watching them play. But, uh, but we do that sometimes where we think we're, we just know better, we could do better. And so Korah here, he thinks he can do a better job. He thinks he knows better than Moses, but ultimately he's rebelling against God. And, and what we find is that uh, Korah tells him, you take too much upon yourself. But we see that Moses, that's, that's not the case. In fact, if you remember with me in the burning bush when, when God is asking Moses or telling Moses that he wants Moses to lead this nation of Israel, Moses says, no, I can't do it. I, I have a stutter. I'm slow of speech. You remember that? What does God say? Okay, well, I have Aaron. He'll be your mouthpiece. He really doesn't give Moses an out. He, and Moses didn't want it. But yet Moses was here and chosen as a leader by God. Moses was a humble man. This is interesting to me. Uh, earlier in Numbers chapter 12, we see that Moses, he's the author of the first five books of the Bible. So Moses is writing this down. And it's interesting, Moses is writing down as God's telling him to write. He says, now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Now just imagine you writing your, that down as God's telling you, yeah, I'm very meek. Yes, I'm writing this down for millions of people to see. But he was very meek man. We find that Moses was a very humble man. And we'll see this here in the next few verses. And A.W. Tozer says this, The essence of all sin is rebellion against divine leadership. So this sin that's about to take place in this camp, this rebellion against God is ultimately, it's, it is that. It is a rebellion against God. It's not just a rebellion against Moses. 
Verse number four, the Bible says, and Moses heard, when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. Now, I just look at that, and it's very intriguing to me that as soon as Moses is criticized and the children of Israel begin to murmur and complain against him, Moses falls on his face. Now, if it's me in that position, I'm ready, and someone challenges my authority, I'm ready to throw hands or something like that, right? Like, hey, no, I'm in charge here. I I'm the leader. You know, look at me, I'm the leader here. And, and we're going to go toe-to-toe -to -toe until they realize that I'm the leader. I don't really want to respond in humility. But Moses here, he falls on his face. In verse number five, we see, uh, And spake unto Korah and unto all his company, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his, and who is holy, and who he will cause to come near him. Even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near him. So he falls on his face in humility, and the first thing that he does is he tells Korah, look, we're just going to let God decide who he wants near him. We're just going to let God decide who is holy. How many times I think of in my life where it's like, I don't respond that way. My first response is not to be humble and to allow God to be the one to decide. Most of the time I think I can handle it. And I can be the one to choose and, and decide what's best for me. When God really has my best interests in mind. And so Korah here, he thinks that he can, he, he can do better. He tells Moses that he's taking too much upon him. He incites this rebellion. And Moses falls on his face in, hum in humility and tells this group of people that we're just going to let God decide. This is what he says. Verse number six. This do take you censers, Korah and all his company, and put fire therein. And put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. Ye take too much upon you, ye sons of Levi. And so we see here that Moses begins to tell Korah, okay, this is how we're going to allow God to decide who is holy and who he wants to be near him. Because uh, Moses tells him to take the censers and put fire in them. And to burn incense before the Lord. And what we see is that this is the, the highest form of the priestly duties, right? Uh, this is when the high priest is supposed to go into the present, literally stand in the presence of a holy God and burn incense for atonement for the children of Israel. So he's, this is what they would do. They would stand uh, in the Ark of the Covenant in the holiest of holies and burn incense. And so this is a, a holy function. And so these men think that they are able to do that. They say that they're holy and that they're able to do that. So Moses says, okay, well then let's, let's allow God to decide. Let's go ahead. You put fire in your censers, burn incense before the Lord tomorrow, and we'll let God choose. And then what he does is he turns and he speaks to Korah and the sons of Levi. Look at verse number nine. He says, seemeth it but a small thing unto you. Now, just remember that phrase because we're going we're gonna to see that here in just a couple verses. He says in verse 9, Seemeth it but a small thing unto you, Moses talking to Korah, that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation and minister to them. And he hath brought thee near to him, and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee. And seek ye the priesthood also? And so what, he do, what he's doing here, what Moses is saying is, hey, Korah, look, God, God's given you a unique task. God has given you something that is special that, that no one else in, in the tribe of Israel, uh, no one else of the children of Israel are able to do. He, so Korah was a Kohathite, as I said earlier. And the Kohathites were responsible for carrying the instruments that were inside the tabernacle as the children traveled through the wilderness. 
they had a unique responsibility. The Bible says that they were drawn close to God and that they were to minister unto the people. And Moses just reminds Korah and the sons of Levi, hey, these are the unique opportunities that you have. This is what God has chosen you to do. And yet you seek the priesthood also? And he kind of questions Korah and he kind of brings into, into Korah's remembrance, hey, this is what God has chosen you to do. Why are you trying to do something else? The Bible says in verse number 11, For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord, and what is Aaron, that ye murmur against him? And, and we see that Moses says you're gathered here against the Lord. What is Aaron, that ye murmur against him? You're gathered here against the Lord. And then we see what Moses does in verse number 12. He, he calls Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and, and he calls them. He wants to speak to them. And this is what they said. We will not come up. Verse number 13, if you look at it, it says, Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us out of the land of milk, of the land that floweth with milk and honey, to kill us in the wilderness, except thou make thyself altogether a prince over us? So what do they say? They kind of get sarcastic with Moses. And they say, Is it not a small thing that you brought us out of the land that floweth with milk and honey? And they kind of tell Moses, they, they give him a little bit of pushback. And, and here we see that they call Egypt, where they were in bondage, and where they were in slavery, they decide to call this place the place of milk and honey. And so we kind of get a picture of what Dathan and Abiram wanted here. And, and so we see here in verse number 14, Moreover, thou hast not brought us into the land that floweth with milk and honey, or given us inheritance of fields or vineyards. Wilt thou put out the eyes of these men? We will not come. And so we see here that Dathan and Abiram, they wanted this inheritance. They coveted the, the fields and the vineyards. There was something further going on here. They weren't trying to be important. They just wanted what they thought was theirs. See, if you study this out just a little bit, and, and actually here in the very first couple verses, it says that Dathan and Abiram were the sons of Reuben. And Reuben was the firstborn. And if you remember the story, Reuben didn't get his birthright. And so some scholars seek, think that uh, Dathan and Abiram here were upset that they didn't get their birthright. And they felt like they deserved more than what God had already given them. And so we see that Moses here in verse number 15, this makes Moses very angry. Moses was, was very wroth and said unto the Lord, Respect not thou their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them. Neither have I hurt one of them. And Moses said unto Korah, Be thou and all thy company before the Lord, thou and they and Aaron tomorrow, and take every man his censer and put incense in them, and bring ye before the Lord every man his censer, 250 censers, thou also and Aaron, each of you his censer. So when he tells them again, he just says, Hey, prepare yourself for tomorrow. We're going to burn incense before the Lord, and we're going to allow the Lord to decide who is holy and who he wants near him. So we see here in verse number 18 that they took every man his censer the next day and put fire in them and laid incense thereon and stood in the door of the tabernacle of the congregation with Moses and Aaron. And the Bible says here in verse number 19 that Korah gathered all the congregation against them unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation. So now we see that not only did Korah bring Dathan and Abiram and on and the 250 uh, uh, men of renown, 250 famous men in the congregation, but we see that he brought the entire congregation before the Lord. 
the entire congregation before Moses. Obviously, Korah was very confident that what he was doing was right. And so we see that he brought this whole congregation, and they stood against Moses, and they stood against Aaron. So we look here in verse number 20, and we see that the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. God's, God's fed up with it. The children of Israel here are going exactly against God. And so God says, separate yourselves, Moses and Aaron. I'm going to consume them in a moment. And what do, Moses and Aaron do? what do Moses and Aaron do? They don't say, hey, okay, good, go ahead, God, take care of them. No, what do they say? They, they fall on their faces. And they go to God and they say, oh God, the God of all spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? And so they go to God on behalf of the congregation, whom, remember, Korah decided to twist the words of God and get the, the congregation there. And, and so Moses and Aaron know this, and they get on their knees, their face, and they fall, and they talk to God, and they say, hey, just for one man's sin, don't take out this whole congregation. Again, if it's me, I'm saying, yep, God, go ahead, take out the congregation. Let's try again with another nation, right? But no, Moses and Aaron took their job very seriously here, and they fell on their faces before a holy God and asked God to give this nation mercy, give them something that they didn't deserve. And so we see here that Moses and Aaron, uh, they took their job very seriously, and they were doing exactly what God had asked them to do. And so the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, speak unto the congregation, saying, get you up. From about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan and Abiram. And Moses rose up and went unto Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest ye be consumed in all their sins. So we see here in verse number 27 that they got, they, uh, got up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan and Abiram on every side, and Dathan and Abiram came out and stood in the door of their tents, and their wives, and their sons, and their little children. So we see Moses gets to the congregation, and he says, hey, I want you to separate yourselves from the, the sinful men. Don't touch anything that's theirs. I want you to separate yourselves from them. So we see that the congregation listens. They separate themselves. And now here, we have Moses who has just said, hey, we're going to let God decide, and and he, he let them know earlier that they were standing and going against God. They were rebelling against God. And so we see uh, Moses here. It's like he gives them another chance. But if you look, you see Dathan and Abiram. What do they do? They stand in the door of their tents, and they take their wives and their children, and they stand in the door of the tents. They don't separate themselves. They don't repent. And what a, what a sobering thought it is, guys, is we're the leaders of the home, and if we're not leading our home in the direction that God would have us do, it's a scary place to be in. Boldly standing before God and saying, you know what, I'm not going to repent. I'm not going to lead my family in the right direction. And we see that this is exactly what they're doing. They're standing in the door of their tents with their family. Our decisions, guys, and I know you know this, but our decisions affect not only ourselves, but they affect our family and those closest to us. They affect others around us. So Moses here, he begins to speak again. He says, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own mind. If these men die common death of all men, 
or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth, and swallow them up with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And so he just, he's just standing before the congregation saying, look, if they die a natural death of natural causes like uh, other men, then it, you'll know that it wasn't me that's supposed to be in charge. It wasn't me that uh, God chose. But if God does something different here, where he opens up the earth and they get swallowed into the pit very quickly, then you'll know that it was them who provoked God and that I should be, I was the one that God chose to be in charge. And so we see that, uh, verse number 31, and it came to pass, as he made an end of speaking these words, all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses, and all the men that appertained unto Korah, and all their goods, they and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them. And they perished from among the congregation. Just like that, all the men that were with Korah perished, vanished without a trace. Interesting. And all Israel that were around them, about them, fled at the cry of them. For they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And then verse number 35. And there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying... Speak unto Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, that he take up the censers out of the burning and scatter thou the fire yonder, for they are hollowed. So we see here that the children of Israel begin to scatter themselves. They were afraid that this was going to happen to them. They were worried that this was going to happen to them, that the earth was going to open up and swallow them also. And then, all, and then a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men. And remember, they were offering this holiest of holy uh, uh, job here, this option here to, to offer this incense in atonement for sin. And they were standing before a holy God, presenting themselves as holy while they were unholy because they were going and rebelling against God. And so what does God do? He tells Eleazar uh, to take the censers of these men that they offered unto the Lord. And what he tells them to do is he tells them to um, put them on the altar so that it will be a memorial for the children of Israel to see, and so that no man who is not of the line of Aaron can come before the Lord and burn incense before the Lord. Look at verse number 39. The Bible says that Eleazar, the priest, took the brazen censers wherewith they that were burnt had offered, and they were made broad plates for a covering of the altar to be a memorial unto the children of Israel, that no stranger, which is not of the seed of Aaron, Come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he be not as Korah and his company, as the Lord said unto him by the hand of Moses. So there is now a memorial for the children of Israel. We see that the earth opened up. God sent fire out for, to the children, to those 250 men. And the children of Israel scattered themselves. And now there's a memorial. And so I'm thinking, like, if, if this is happening, I'm thinking, like, you're nudging your friend. You're saying, hey, did you see what happened yet? Did you see what happened? That's crazy. We better, we better make sure we straighten ourselves out, right? So then the very next day, verse number 41. This is extremely interesting to me, verse number 41. But on the morrow, after all this has happened, after there was a memorial, all the congregation of the children of Israel, what did they do again? 
they murmured against Aaron, against Moses and against Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but Moses and Aaron did not kill those people. It was God. Remember, Moses said, look, if this stuff happens, we're going to know that it was God who chose to do this, that it was uh, the me these men, Korah and his men, who decided to go against God and rebel against God. And so now, all of a sudden, after all of this, the memorial, uh, the, the earth opening up and swallowing people whole, the fire coming out and burning people, still, the children of Israel get up the very next day, and they murmur against Aaron, and they murmur against Moses. And again, my reaction would be to be like, you know what, fine, God, you go ahead and do whatever you want to do with them. So here we see that it came to pass that when the congregation was gathered against Moses and Aaron, that they looked toward the tabernacle of the congregation, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And see, when things start to go wrong, we see that God decides to appear. And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation. And the Lord spake unto Moses, and saying, Get you up from among the congregation, that I can, may consume them in a moment. So here we get, here again, the next day, we have God saying, Moses, separate yourselves from the children of Israel, from this congregation. I'm going to consume them in a moment. And again, my response would be, okay, God, go ahead. They, uh, this is the third time in three days that they've decided to rebel and murmur and complain against me, right? I would probably take it personally. But what did Moses and Aaron do? They fell upon their faces in humility again. They fell upon their faces. Uh, just imagine the love and the care that they had for this group of people, that they would stand before, before a holy, and they would fall on their faces before a holy and righteous God to say, God, please don't, don't kill this entire nation of people. What we see here. They fell upon their faces, and Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer, and put fire therein from off the altar, and put on incense, and go quickly unto the congregation, and make atonement for them, for there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. And Aaron took as Moses commanded, and ran into the midst of the congregation. And behold, the plague was begun among the people, and he put on incense, and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living and the plague was stayed. Now they that died in the plague were 14,700. Beside them that died about the matter of Korah. And Aaron returned to Moses unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the plague was stayed. Wow. Just a, an amazing passage of scripture that we have here. How many times that the children of Israel decide. This is the fifth and sixth times that they decide to murmur against Moses. That they decide to rebel against God. And God says, I'm going to consume them in a moment. But yet, Moses and Aaron fall on their faces. And as we come to the, the end of this, this passage of Scripture, we see just a few different things here. We see, number one, that Moses and Aaron had this love for this group of people. Korah and his group of people, they had pride involved with what they were doing. They wanted what was best for them or what they thought was best for them. They wanted to be in charge. They wanted to lead. But Moses and Aaron said, no, no, please, God, protect them from what they deserve. Keep them from what they deserve. Because this nation, they were murmuring and they were complaining, and they definitely deserved to be consumed. And so we see here a love and devotion that 
although Moses and Aaron probably could have let this happen, they decided, I'm going to fall on my face and I'm going to entreat God and ask God, God, please protect this people. Please show mercy and show grace to these people. Don't consume them in a moment. And God answers their prayer request. He answers the atonement. And what a beautiful picture it is we see because what we'll find is that thousands of years later that this is exactly what Jesus Christ died on the cross for us to do. He shed his blood and they mocked him and they beat him and they spat upon him and they, they, they hated him. But yet he decided, I'm going to die on this cross. I'm going to shed my blood for you, for the sins of an entire group of people. For all of humanity, he decided, I'm going to, I'm going to, for all the sins, past, present, and future, he died for the sins of man. What a, what an amazing picture of love that we get to see. And then I just think of me personally in my life, how often God has said, hey, I want you to love others as I have loved you. With that love, how many times I just, I get to a point where someone offends me and I'm just like, okay, boom, I'm going to cut you out of my life. I don't forgive them. I don't show them love. How often I struggle with that in my life, but yet God, Jesus, who died on the cross, showed the ultimate form of love, and he died on the cross so that we could all spend eternity with him in heaven. What an amazing picture we see here in this, in this chapter of, of Numbers chapter 16. You see, when our eyes are off the Lord, like Korah and his men, you're never going to be a happy person. They're never, you're never going to be happy. Korah wanted more. Nathan, Dathan and Abiram wanted more, and, and my wife was just telling me this funny story the other day, and I'll close with this, is yesterday she was at the store, and I was, I was working, and she took the kids to the store, Oliver and Kinsley, it's five and three years old, okay? She took them to Walmart, probably a bad decision on her part, but she took them to Walmart, and, um, and of course, right, they're five and three, and they want everything in the store, and they're constantly egg, uh, asking her, hey, mommy, can we get this? Mommy, can we get that? And so finally... Chloe, I think she found these like rainbow um, chalk. And so she grabbed them and she gives them to the kids and she says, yes, guys, we can get this. Out of love, she says, yeah, we can get this for you. So they get it and then they put it in the car, right? So then they're going by another aisle and all of a sudden they start to ask, mommy, can we get this? Mommy, can we get this? And their eyes were not on the things that Chloe had literally had just had gotten for, for them, but their eyes were on everything else. And that's exactly how we are, right? We put our eyes on other things. We put our eyes on things that we want and that we desire. But if we put our eyes and set our affections on God, he will provide exactly what we need. And so what we find here is that Korah took his eyes off God. There's a little bit of pride involved, a little bit of jealousy and covetousness involved there with Dathan and Abiram. And instead of putting his affection on things of God and seeing that God had chosen him for a specific pur purpose, he decided that he wanted more. And there was consequences for that. But we see in, through this that there is an ultimate picture of love. And there's an ultimate picture of grace through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Heavenly Father.